this series on the kind of the, what I've called the, the double-minded life. A lot of times as Christians, we, we say what the Bible says, and we tell other people about what the Bible says, and then comes time when we're facing those trials, and what do we do? We do just like the rest of the world does and forget about what we've been telling everybody and how to live. And so today we're going to wrap that up, and, and we're going to be talking a lot about pride. So if you're a prideful person, you're probably not going to like to hear this. And if uh, you're not a prideful person, you're probably not being very honest with yourself. So if you would, turn to James chapter 4. you reading verses 1 through 10. When you find your place, please stand for reading God's Word. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gave more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's reading the word. You may be seated. We're back in James. You... Two weeks ago we were in James, and last week we were in you know, First Kings, and I gave a little background on the personality of James. And when we, we talk about why why Peter was afraid to eat with the Gentiles, it's he was afraid of what James would think. You understand the personality of James? He's not once called a disciple of Christ while Christ was walking this earth before his death and resurrection and uh, ascension to heaven. But what we have here is James is a half-brother of Jesus. His mother was Mary. And we have... Uh, we don't find out a lot about him, but all of a sudden, one day, he's an apostle. And and if you want a kind of a pecking order of the apostles, look at where they ended up ministering. You know, Peter and Paul, they go out of Jerusalem. But not James. He stays he stays in Jerusalem to hold down the fort. As, as a lot of things were going on, there was a lot of pressure from the Romans to, to persecute the Christians. There was... Uh, persecution from the Jewish people to the church because they did not like what was going on. And so we have this man, James, who, who, who gives us this, this wonderful passage here, and it's one of the most powerful, I think, in all of Scripture. So before we go on, I want to ask you to, to think about something. You don't have to answer me audibly, but what is a church? When you think of the word church, what do you think of? I know the world thinks of hypocrites and you know, all those stereotypes that we get, but what should a church be? Why do we come to church? Worship. We need to think in our hearts what, what this church is. Is New Hope Baptist Church, is it church? Is it what God has intended it to be? And if not, where do we have to humble ourselves to make it that? I want you to think about the church you've been in the past. I've been in some great churches. And I've been in some churches that caused me a lot of pain. And most of us here could attest to that. I know there's few that, like Darren's been here since he was in the womb. Basically, <laughs> and so for him, church is new hope, and I, and I pray that today you can answer that as well. That church is new hope. That this is home. Church is often described as the bride of Christ, and rightly so. We are the bride. A day will come where our groom will come back to to take us to the wedding feast, to to be, to take us to where the marriage ceremony will take place in heaven. 
Now, uh, in our culture, a lot of times when, when two people get married, you have the groom dressed in his nice tux, and then the, the bride will put on a nice, beautiful white gown, and the white is supposed to represent her purity. Of course, we know that the bride of Christ is not quite pure on her own, is she? She needs the blood of Jesus to cleanse her. You know, and many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we appear before God today offering our offerings and offering our praises and worship, but we are not pure. We have sinned, and we need to confess that sin to Him. So I want you to think all throughout the sermon today is, you know, what church means to you. I pray when, when you wake up in the morning on Sunday mornings that, that you're excited to come to church. That it's not like, oh, i got to go to church today. I know many people like that. I used to be one of those people. And God got a hold of me and made me realize what church was. It is where I get to go, and it's, where, it's literally where heaven and earth meet. Where we get to go and go into the presence of God and worship God with our fellow believers. And it's also, you know, we are still sinners. We still struggle. When, when we were born again, what happened? That the Holy Spirit indwells in us. That is what James is saying. Do, do you not realize that, that God's Spirit longs to, to keep His, His Spirit in you and to keep you pure and to, for you to be seeking after God? But the reality is we are still living in this fleshly, worldly body that has been corrupted by sin and one day must die. You will not enter into heaven in this body. You will be given a new body because this body is corrupt and made of sin. And so you have a battle going on between We talk about spiritual warfare, but you literally have a battle going on within you. Your flesh is at war with your spirit. Your spirit desires to honor God in everything, and your flesh desires to honor itself in everything. These two are opposed to each other. The flesh would make itself out to be God. And this is what we have James talking a lot about, quarrels. We think about quarrels, fights. Uh, he, he uses very strong language here. And the, 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 the word he, he uses um, for passions is a word that we get our English word hedonism. You know, understand, you know, oftentimes, especially young pastors will, will come in and they'll tell you about the, the book of Acts and how the New Testament church was so great. If the New Testament church had it all figured out, why do we see letters from Paul and Peter, James, John, and Jude? What are they telling the church how to do? How to actually be the church? You know, so when your church is in a mess, and occasionally we have quarrels within us, there's going to be times where, you know what, you go and say, we're in good company. The New Testament church had problems. But God was right there beside them, and he did not let them go by. He made them correct themselves and correct what is going wrong. And, and James is getting at the heart of this. And he says, what is causing these quarrels? If we were to sum it up in one word, pride. Think about it. Uh, we often will have business meetings, and the person will suggest this, and the person will basically suggest the opposite, and we'll start fighting and bickering. And now one time we'll say, you know, we need to stop and pray and ask God what he wants. We'll, we'll debate amongst ourselves and say what we want. And then we'll try to convince people to vote our way so we get what we want. That is not God-honoring at all. Not at all. And now ultimately, it's uh, too often in churches we say, you know, I want to do things this way. And we might come up with a good reason why, but ultimately, it's about us. You know, I, I've, I've been through many churches where they're having what we call the, uh, the music wars in church. Should we sing hymns? Should we sing contemporary? Uh, right now, we don't have a piano or an organ player. It's going to be hard to sing the hymns. That canned music is quite awful. You know, we, we sing, sing the contemporary songs, and sometimes we'll, we'll sing the, the, the hymns through videos. I would love if we had a worship band up here. 
God has just not appointed us to, at, at that point in time. That is one of my prayers that I pray constantly, is that God will provide the people with the skills. I could try to learn guitar, but it's probably going to end up not so well. <laughs> this is the reality. We, we can put a worship band together with the people we have here right now, but if God has not called us and equipped us in that way, it would be like randomly picking out somebody to preach every Sunday. How how we like it? Brother Darren just comes up and says, uh, "Larry, you're preaching Sunday. Come on up." You know, it, it wouldn't work out real well. No, we need to make sure that the people in the positions of the church have been called to those positions. And part of what James is tackling is their jealousy in the the New Testament church. There was people that they wanted to be the pastors. They wanted to be the deacons. They weren't searching the scriptures first to say. Is God calling me to be a deacon? If God is calling you to be a deacon or an elder or a pastor, those terms that we use in the New Testament, Paul says that you are desiring a good thing, but with the wrong motives, even the best of things is sin. And so we have to examine our hearts and understand that pride is a magnet for the devil. Do you want the devil in your home, in your church, in your marriage? Be prideful. Refuse to humble yourself before God. Be prideful, and you will see that the devil will show up. And he will show up quick. Why? Because he is the father of that sin. He is the, that is what caused him to fall. We, we talked about it in our study in Revelation. Where, where was the angel known as Lucifer? He was the covering for God. And eventually he thought of himself so highly that he said, I will ascend God's throne and become God myself and have the other angels worship me. A created being tried to become God. But if we are honest with ourselves, do we not do that every day? God, God has called us. We can look in, in Luke 9, 23, where, where Jesus calls us to carry our cross each and every day. Understand clearly what, what Jesus is doing. What, what was the cross? Well, you know, we look at the cross today, we kind of romanticize it. It's beautiful to us because it represents the death of our Lord. It represents God loving us so much that he sent his one and only son for us. I get that. I, I do it myself. But what the cross meant in the Roman world was this is an instrument of torture meant to embarrass, humiliate, and ultimately kill you. It was to kill the body. So when Jesus is saying, carry your cross, he's saying this fleshly world that we are still part of, that, that our body is at war with the spirit, he's saying, kill your flesh every day. What it desires, tell it no. Don't ever give in to your flesh. But we do all the time, don't we? And sometimes it may be something simple. Now, I'm one of those people that starts a diet like every three months. And about a week into it, I completely fail. And you know, I get the greasiest thing possible. And I'd probably do worse than if I had never went on the diet. Because you deprive yourself and all of a sudden your flesh is like, oh, that, that, that fried bacon at, at the sandwich fair. And they got fried Twinkies and Oreos in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> Basically, if it's fried, I'll eat it. It's, it's not healthy for you. But they, they, there's small things like that, but there's also very real things. Well, Christ is telling you, give up everything. You know, let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, we talked about it in, in class uh, about what, who Jesus was. We talked about false teachers and, and you know, what they say about Jesus. How do we discern a false teacher? They will always mislead you about who Jesus is. We, we have many teachers today that, that will tell you about the great things Jesus will do for you. And we make him out to be like this magical genie that, that you just rub the lamp and you're going to be rich and prosperous and great and everything's going to be great. Except Jesus was a homeless man. 
And he told many people, go and sell all that you have and follow me. Let's be honest, who here is willing to sell all that you have and follow Jesus? For the record, there's, zero, oh, there's one hand up now. Let's be honest, the call of Jesus is hard. It means giving up what our flesh desires, what, what our fleshly part of us wants. Thankfully, God is, God is not requiring us all to, to give up everything that we have. He's requiring for us to make him the most important thing. What is the most important thing in your life? You can tell it's really easy to tell in anyone's life. When you pray, what's the first thing you pray for? What's the second thing you pray for? If the first thing you pray for is things for yourself, you're the most important person in your life. If the first thing you pray for is your family, they're the most important thing. If you pray for God's glory, for God to be honored, um, honored God is the most important thing. There's a reason when Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God was the most important. The Father was always the most important thing to, to Christ. It's to bring him glory. Second was those around him, the lost sinners that he had came to save. And rarely do we see Jesus actually praying about himself. We see it in the garden. Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. His flesh was scared. It was about to be literally crucified. He is one who took up the cross every single day. And he calls us to that, do that spiritually. To seek first the things of God, the kingdom of God. And he says, and then all else will be added to you. I have no problem with anybody wanting to, to work hard, to become rich, to have the nicest house in town. I don't think those are bad things. But when those are the main things in your life, then that is a pride issue. Then that is an issue where you are replacing what should be your focus is the glory of God. And you're replacing it with those things in your life that bring you comfort. But a day is coming when, when we will all die. I will die, you will die, we will all die. And those things that, that we have built up, those nice houses, those cars, everything that we enjoy, you know, my 60-inch TV I have in my living room that's way too big for the room, it will be gone. It will be burnt up. And the, the reality of those comforts, they won't last the test of time. What you do for God, that is what will last. Or what you don't do. So I want us to think about why James is posing this question and what does it mean for us. He says, you know, you do not have, so you murder. That's quite a charge. With the New Testament church actually murdering each other. Not physically, not literally, but in their heart. When they, they would talk with each other, they would, they would have such anger for a person that they are going, sharing a fellowship meal with, worshiping with every single week. They despised their fellow believers so much that, that in their heart it was the same as murder. Understand, Jesus has a, a, a long history of teaching in the New Testament about this. He says, if you hate your brother without a cause, it is murder to God. And let's be honest, when we sin against each other, why is it so bad? I've sinned against people. I am a sinner. I confess that. But why is it the sin so bad? I want you to think about this. Each and every one of you, whether you are here as a believer or not, you have been made in the image of God. And so for me to sin against you is to sin against God himself. Because you have been made in his image. You are an image bearer of the Most High God. 
in the in the New Testament days, Caesar demanded worship, and he was a bit arrogant about it. He didn't just demand that you would come and worship him when you had the time. He set up statues of himself, image bearers, that, that they would place in every single town. And you had to go and kneel before the image of Caesar and place an offering, a financial offering there. And if you did not, you were considered an enemy of the state. You were an enemy of Caesar. So when we, we sin against each other, understand that spiritually that everyone around you is a representative of God. Some of them are caught in sin, as many of us have been, and they need to turn to God and receive forgiveness of their sins. But ultimately, when we talk about that pride that we have, we need to realize that, that it's going to bring the devil towards us. And he's going to have his way. He's going to split the church. He's going to split your family. He's going to cause divorce. That's what he does. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He loves when he, when, when he senses pride because he knows he has a foothold in that, that household, in that family, in that marriage, with those kids, in that school, wherever it may be. You know, pride, pride is that monster that we have to crucify every day. Pride is, is the, the one condition, if we're honest with ourselves, is oftentimes we'll hear people getting horrible diseases. We've seen it in this church. We, we've seen people getting cancer, and it's horrible. And it causes pain for them. And to a certain extent, it causes pain for those around them because we see them struggling, slowly dying, and passing away. It is hard beyond belief. But what pride does is it hurts everyone around us except for ourselves. It makes ourselves feel good. You know, some, somebody does wrong. Uh, somebody sins against you. And, you know, I, I've had times as, as a pastor, I get critiqued once in a while. Just once in a while. Sometimes people tell me I preach too long. I've had people tell me I preach too short. And there's that pride, little pride monster in you who goes, Oh, you know, you know all this and this and this about them. You could lay into them and it would feel so good. And for a second it would. But then I would have sinned against them and God. But that, that's what we do. When, when people have wronged us, we don't look and say, is their criticism just? If I preach four and a half hours today and you tell me I preach too long, I'd say, okay, I went a little overboard. Now if I, I preach ten minutes, they say I preach too short, I could, I could see that. that. Or, or if they say, you know what, you're not... You're not, you didn't really preach what the, the text says. You know, i got to take a step back and examine myself. Am I being a gospel preacher? If I'm not, they have a valid criticism. But oftentimes, what happens when somebody criticizes you? You don't hear a word they say. You just respond back and attack them right back. And all of a sudden, there's this fight going on, this quarrel going on, to the point where we're willing to murder them in our heart. We need to not allow that ever to be in church, in our families, there's reasons families split apart. It's because of pride. Pride is the root of sin. Wherever you see sin, you're going to see pride. Most often you'll see pride in, what we, in a form of what we call selfishness. And what James is getting at here is that our desires, if they're not rooted in God's will, will lead to pride. It'd be great to, to, to make this a great new building. I've heard of preachers wanting to paint the walls white and things like that. I'm like, okay, one way or the other, it doesn't really bother, bother me one way or the other. But the reality is, you know, oftentimes we'll take that and it'll become a source of pride where, you know, this church has a tradition. This is the building we've worshipped in for years. And so to those that have been here a long time, it, it can be offensive to make such a suggestion. But also, you know, we can make a pride out of making a new building. I, I visited uh, um, 
Uh, a friend of mine, had, uh, Zach, that I, you guys have hear, heard play here before, he, he uh, got married. We went out to his church, Willow Creek, the biggest church I've ever been in in my life. And I was there with some other friends of his, and they were raving on and on about how great it was, and it was complete idol worship. They weren't talking about the marriage or how happy they were for him. They were in awe of the building. And just like that, we can allow that pride. And they said, I want to come and hear whoever preaches here because this building is so great. I'm like, wow, that is straight idolatry. You know, and I've, I've also known people, um, whether it's this church or other churches, they'll drive by a church and look down on it because of the way the building looks. That is, that is an arrogant pride. I am too good to worship you, God, in that building. What did Jesus say? A day is coming we will not worship in this mountain or, or that mountain, but you will worship God in spirit. That means we do not have to go to Jerusalem, praise God. We don't have to fly to Jerusalem every Sunday morning. It will get quite expensive to worship God. That we can worship God wherever he puts us, wherever church is, wherever that is home. And I can give you the illustration. Uh, many of us have, are, uh, are good gardeners, and then there's people like me who just are awful gardeners. And, and you'll know well, what happens when, when you're gardening. You have beautiful grass, and your wife plants beautiful flowers, and then that little thing comes up called a weed. Now what happens if you get that weed right away? You take the weed out, and you have no problem. That's the way pride is. If you feel that pride swelling up inside of you, kill it right away. Pull it out, get rid of it, repent of it. But if you ignore that weed, that pride, what happens? It's going to grow and grow and grow until you can't see flowers anymore, but all you have is weeds. And then Charlotte and I can make a dandelion salad, right? <laughs> the reality is, is that if we let weeds go unchecked, they will go unchecked. I have a, a neighbor who I adore. He's got the most beautiful lawn you've ever seen. And he is out there day after day taking care of that lawn. Over and over you see him working on the lawn. He gets, he gets the dirt tested to make sure he has the right uh, chemical balance. For the, but he has the most beautiful lawn ever. You will never see a weed in his yard. Now, spiritually speaking, that should be our lives. That we should give that much time to prayer. To, to being humble before God that much time, to, to examining our lives. Is there any weeds in my yard? Is there anything approaching that, that's going to, to harm my walk with God, harm my walk with my church, harm my walk with my family? But too often we're like, oh, it's just a little weed. We won't worry about it. Oh, there's another little weed. Until all you have is weeds for grass. The weed will grow and grow and grow. It is stronger than, than you could ever believe. You think you'd mow it over the lawn, it'd be fine. No, you didn't kill it at all. You just you just hushed it up a little bit. Sometimes we do that with our pride. We bite our tongues when that pride monster's still roaring on the inside. We have to be honest with ourselves and say, I'm not going to allow pride to take over my life. I am going to humble myself and make God number one. Make everyone else. We are told to, to love our brothers and sisters. Christ says you will know that you are Christians by your love. That is what he told his disciples. We are to love our brothers and sisters. We are to love our enemies. I know we really struggle with that one. We are to love those who do not love us. Love them with that agape, unconditional love. And then finally, we are to have love for ourselves. Not a prideful love, but you are to have love for yourselves. And, and I think I especially want to address women here. Men do not have a problem loving themselves. It comes quite natural. So I do when Jesus says, love your wives as you love yourself. He knows men loves themselves. Women, you're not so good at that. 
you tend to hate yourselves. You look at the magazines and see the people on TV and you feel bad and, and, and you go through all these emotions and, and always asking, how does this make me look? And you're, you get so caught up on the outside. See what God's doing on the inside. Love yourself. You know, the, the great irony of our culture compared to Jesus' culture, to be skinny in Jesus' culture was to, to be cursed and meant you were poor and broke. They actually praised people that were what we would call overweight. And it's quite the opposite today. You know, if somebody's not in physically fit condition, myself included, we look down on them. There's something wrong with them. We don't give them any grace in that. We don't talk about the, you know, the, the DNA and all the things that go into that. But the reality is that we are told to, to love ourselves. We, we are not to hate what God has created. To, to look in the mirror and hate what you see is to hate the image of God. You've been created in that image. And I'm not speaking just physically, but spiritually. You've been created. God has created you. He has molded you. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. But so often when, when we, we, we see this, we see Christians hating themselves and then doing things. And, you know, you see people having surgeries and all kinds of things. Why? Because the devil has, has got his pride monster going and he's made us feel, feel horrible. I don't look like that person. Well, yeah, you don't look like that person because God has made you to look like you. Do not allow pride ever to enter your life. It has a tendency to absolutely destroy us. I want you to think about the, the role of, my role of pastor, but also your role as a brother and sister. Our, our roles together. We, we, are, we are both sheep and shepherds at the same time. I am, the, I am an under-shepherd here at, at New Hope Baptist Church. Of course, Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. He has told me to care for you. He has told me to, to prepare you for his return. A day is going to come when Jesus Christ is going to return, and I, I pray I can present every one of you as an unblemished sheep, not a spot of dirt or mud anywhere on you. But if we're honest, we are stubborn sheep, myself included. And what do we do? We would go out and we would find that mud pile over there, and we, we just roll in it like a pig and get all dirty, and the mud's all clumped up, and then we run away because we don't want to be cleaned up. You know, a, a sheep likes likes getting, running away, and going off and doing its own thing. Oftentimes to its own peril. It'll get up on high cliffs and it could end up uh, dying because of it, get, getting trapped in fences and all kinds of things. But as shepherds, when we see each other, when we see our brothers and sisters getting in that mud of sin, we need to come alongside them and gently help wash them away. Well, what does James say here is that we need to, to wash our hands and our hearts of that sin. That if we are willing to, we can humble ourselves and go before God. And he will exalt us back up. But what has to happen for you to be exalted? It's, it's a word that means to be lifted up or put in a place of honor again. There's two ways to be exalted. One is the easy way. To get down on your knees and repent of your sin. And God will lift you back up and exalt you. The other way is the pride monster way. is Where, where you get stubborn and that pride's going. And you say, I'm not going to repent. And I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to say I'm sorry because I didn't do anything wrong. That's at that point you've entered the stage of self-righteousness if you ever think you're not a sinner. And what does God do with people like that? He utterly breaks them. Do you want God to break you? He will lift you back up after he's broken you down and remolds you into the man or woman of God you were meant to be. 
Now, if you want to go on in your life and, and, and not repent, not get on, down on your knees willingly. Scripture is clear. Every knee will bow. Not, not, not every knee will enter the kingdom of heaven. God is calling you now to enter. He's calling us to put away that sin, put away that pride. He's calling us to forgive, have that humble spirit of, of forgiveness. It says God opposes the proud. Understand this dual reality is, is if you're going to be proud, God is going to be your enemy. God himself will be against you. And then on the other side, as you turn around, while you may think somebody like Satan who is fall, who fell to pride and, and is so prideful himself, might come alongside and want you on his side. No, he wants to tempt you and make you look worse to God. Understand, Satan is never going to be your friend. He hates you now and forever. God is the one who loves you. But he will not deal with, with sin lightly. He's not going to allow you to go on sinning and then pro profess his name to everyone else. Go around saying, I, I, am, a, I, I am a Christian. And then go around sinning and, and denying the Christ who bought you with his blood. We cannot allow that. We cannot have that. If we go on in that way, we are truly double-minded. And what, do what does James say about double-minded people? When they pray, they should expect what? The prayers to be answered? No, they should expect nothing from God. And those are strong words. Have you ever thought about going before God when you pray? I hope you pray as James has instructed us. Pray with that faithfulness. Pray with that fervor. Pray as if God has already answered our prayers. But there's times where we pray and the answer is absolutely silent. Because our hearts aren't right before God. And we need to make sure that our hearts are right before God if we expect to see anything from Him. As the ladies will soon learn or have already learned, we need to make sure we got that armor of God on. We need to make sure that we are, we are praying, and not just praying for people, but praying against the demonic entities that are trying to influence them. Understand, when you pray for someone to receive salvation... The enemy is all around them trying to persuade them not to. Ultimately, it's up to them. But the devil loves to, to get people and get them twisted and make them come up with all these excuses why they can't believe in God. I've heard about everyone, and there's an easy explanation for each and every one. But what it is, ultimately, is we're refusing to surrender. We're refusing to follow Jesus. In the video, we, little video clip we saw a little while ago, the reality is, is most of us here, we love to be fans. I'm a fan of Chicago Cubs, Chicago Bulls, Miami Dolphins, that's a long story. <laughs> we all love to be fans. But the reality, Jesus said, I don't want fans. Jesus doesn't care how many Twitter followers he has. He doesn't care how many people follow his stories on Facebook and all the other social media things. He doesn't care how often you check out his latest blog on a website. What he cares about is that you are genuine followers of Jesus Christ. You are genuine disciples who love him, who are willing to carry your cross and die for him if he calls you to do that. Understand clearly, we, we're approaching a, a point in time where, where we, we're reaching the end of the road. A day is going to come where either A, Jesus is about to return and take those who are his home, or B, you're going to be taken home. I pray you'll be taken home. You'll be taken. I can't guarantee home. That's between you and God. So I want to encourage you to, to examine our hearts today and put, put that pride to the side, crucify that pride, humble ourselves before God and, and watch Him move heaven and earth in your prayers. Watch Him bless you beyond your belief. But watch your faith grow and your walk with Christ grow. You're not meant to sit in the pews your whole life. 
Each and every one of us are meant to be ministers of God. We are part of a holy priesthood. That's why, as we'll talk about in the days coming ahead, October 31st is what? Don't say Halloween. Something much more important than Halloween. October 31st this year will mark 500 years since a man named Martin Luther posted 95 statements on his church door. He was protesting against the false teaching of the Catholic Church. And that sparked what we call the Reformation. If you're able to read a Bible in English, you need to praise God that he raised up a man like Martin Luther. Martin Luther was not a perfect man by any means. He was quite vulgar. He was very rude in his responses to people. But he knew that he was saved by God's grace alone. And he stood up for that. You know, the, the reason that we don't have to go to a priest and confess our sins is because uh, guys like that stood up and said, you know, we confess our sins to Christ. We are part of the royal priesthood, as it says in Hebrews. As a pastor and as, as our, uh, with our deacon and the other preachers here, our job is not to do all the work of the church. Our job is to equip you to do the work of the church. But too often in our society we get it twisted. We think it's all my job and all, all our deacons and our leaders' jobs. The reality is everyone should be coming together as, as part of a kingdom. We are to build the kingdom of Christ until he returns. And when we do that, we are truly bringing God glory. A day is coming when others will come into this building and they will profess Christ and then God will be more glorified than just if we are here. Because I can bring God glory by my worship. But if Darren and I worship together, that glory is twice as much. Times the 50 or so that we have here, it's 50 times as much. Times the millions of people around the world, that, that is what we are as a church. So we need to get out of our own way and seek God's way. And when we seek God's way, you will see heaven and earth moved. Because God desires to do it. And He desires to use us. Amen? So if there's anyone here today who's, who's struggling with that pride... Or maybe you do not know who Jesus is and you want to know more about him. I encourage you, during the time of music, come down and talk to me. We'll pray together and we'll, we'll make you understand what it is and what it is not. I don't ever want to deceive someone. I, I'll never tell someone they come down and bend their knees that now you have been saved because you've said these words. You've been saved because of the confession in your heart. You've been saved because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. There's many people, I believe, that have gone to the altar hundreds of times and they're not saved. Why? Because they're doing that out of an emotional thing or, or because they think it's what everybody else wants them to do. But they don't ask, is this what God is having me to do? They don't ask themselves, have I really repented in my heart? Believe it or not, there, there's preachers, I believe, that are out there that aren't saved. Pray for them. Pray for, pray for them the, the way you pray for your mother or your father or your, your children when they're not saved. We need to, above all as Christians, we need to be in prayer. Prayer is the greatest weapon we have. Because prayer is a humbling of yourself. And that is what is said will, that will draw God near to us. He says he is offering his grace for the humble. But to the proud he is an enemy. That's one enemy you will never conquer. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks, Lord, for what your word says. It's, it's hard to hear because we all struggle with pride in one form or another, Lord. Let us come before you and humble ourselves, remove that pride from our hearts. And give you glory and honor always, Jesus. In your holy name, amen.